Well, if you would this morning turn to Romans chapter 3, and uh, as I said uh, last week, we're on this road to Easter. We're on this road to why Jesus had to come to this place called Calvary. And we've uh, been discussing just many different things. The sin of the world makes us messed up people. It places in a position where we cannot fulfill the God's requirements, his law. It places us in a position whereby which we need this uh, redeemer and this reconciler. And this morning, I want us to discuss uh, with you this person named Jesus, who's the, our redeemer and our reconciler, is also not only our redeemer and reconciler, but he is what is called our propitiation. He's our propitiation. And here's another one of those uh, Christian terms, right? Those theological terms that are thrown around that sometimes may not uh, be explained. But this morning, I want us to not only explain the term, but I want us to understand the nature of the term and why Jesus is our propitiation. Uh, if you are a movie fan, and even if you're not, I hope uh, this, these two illustrations will help you uh, to understand this term propitiation. But there was a movie called Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. This is a movie from the 80s, whereby which uh, this explorer uh, was looking for lost treasure. And in this one particular scene, uh, Indiana Jones uh, has found the treasure. There's this golden skull that he wants to get his hands on. And so as he's standing there looking at this golden treasure, as he is in this uh, tomb that is highly booby-trapped, meaning that if someone incorrectly grabbed this treasure, that they would be instantly killed, he stands there and tries to figure out a way how he can grab the treasure without being killed. And so while standing there, he looks at the treasure, he reaches into his nifty bag and pulls out this uh, bag of sand. He empties a little bit out and he's measuring, he's trying to estimate how much this golden treasure weighs so that he can do a switch. He wants to do an exchange. He wants to get the gold and leave out of there with his life. And so he empties out the treasure, he makes a quick switch, he grabs the gold, places it in his knapsack, and he thinks that everything is okay. Until, unfortunately, this place where the crown was, it sinks down and it activates the booby traps. And now he's on the run for his life. He went in for simple treasure. He thought that he could make it in exchange without... Uh, without any doom, impending doom coming his way. But unfortunately, that's exactly what happened. He grabs the treasure and doom comes his way. There's another story you might be familiar with, a story called Beauty and the Beast. And in this story of Beauty and the Beast, there's this young woman by the name of Belle. And Belle, who is a kind young woman, who loves her father dearly. Their town uh, has been threatened by this beast. Her father has been trapped 
uh, by this beast. And she finally finds out where her father is. And so she heads into this castle, finds her father, speaks to her father, and then the beast shows up. And she speaks to the beast. And she tells the beast to let her father go. And not only does she tell the beast to let her father go, she actually offers the beast that she is willing to take her father's place. And when she makes this statement of this type of exchange, the beast is taken aback. The beast says, you mean to tell me you are willing to take your father's place? This is another situation of a, an exchange, right? Wanting something and willing to give up something to get something for it. You know, the Bible speaks on this in John chapter 15, verse 13. It says, no one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. As we've been speaking, mankind has entered into sin. Mankind breaks God's requirements. And because of who God is, God being this holy God, God being this just God, meaning he deals out justice, God being this righteous God, meaning he always does the right thing, and God being this loving God, he demands judgment. And unfortunately, this judgment of God brings forth God's wrath. And let me just say this, the wrath of God is rooted in who he is. All of those aforementioned things, him being a holy God, him being a just God, him being a righteous God, a loving God, they do not offset his wrath. Let me remind you, or if I'm not reminding you this morning, let me inform you, right, on the wrath of God in history. There are some things that you may be familiar with. You might be familiar with Sodom and Gomorrah. When God takes this city and totally destroys the city because of its sin. And not only does he destroy the city because of its sin, God also destroys anyone willing to have an affinity for that city. You might be familiar with the story of Jesus and the fig tree. There's this fig tree that Jesus comes upon and the fig tree is not producing as it should in its proper season. And Jesus walks up to the fig tree, places his hand on the fig tree and curses the fig tree. And the fig tree withers and dies. That is the wrath of God. You might be familiar with the 10 plagues of Egypt. These people by the name of the Egyptians are holding this nation captive, the Hebrews. And what God does is he sends them 10 plagues in response to these idol gods that they worship. Not only does he send them 10 plagues, but he 
is willing to kill even their firstborn sons for the very sake of their sin. You know about the two floods that took place. Those floods take place because of the nature of sin. You know about the Babylonian and Assyrian captivity. Because of mankind, because of the Hebrew nation and their affront to God, them saying, Lord, we will not obey you. God goes and handpicks his enemies and uses his enemies in order to chastise the people, placing them in a period of slavery and captivity. You know about Jesus cleansing the temple. You know about the, the golden calf and, and how God threatens them with total annihilation because they created an idol. You know about David and Bathsheba and his adulterous relationship with her and his committing a murder to the point where he kills their newborn baby of David and Bathsheba. That's the wrath of God. You know about Ananias and Sapphira, the ones who promised to sell their land and sell their land and take the money from the earnings of the land and give it to the church. But they only give a portion of the money to the church to the point where Peter comes and, and, and communicates them that they had lied to the Holy Spirit. And not only did they lie to the Holy Spirit, but they can expect to see a pallbearer at their door immediately. That's the wrath of God. Let me give you one last example. You might be familiar with the story of Elijah and Elisha. Elijah, Elijah goes off, he, he dies, right? Or he's transported into heaven. Elisha, his understudy, takes up the mantle of Elisha. He's carrying on the ministry of Elijah. And one day he's walking along and he meets some small children. And the small children come and make fun of Elijah and they call him bald-headed. And the very next thing that takes place because they made fun of the prophet of God, a bear mauls and eats the children. This is the wrath of God. You see, wrath is a part of the justice. Wrath is a part of the righteousness of God. It's simple. With God, if you don't do right, you should expect a consequence. Mankind demands righteousness. I want us to think about that. This isn't a foreign concept. If God demands righteousness, mankind takes on God's communicable attribute of righteousness. We demand righteousness. You see, when someone commits a crime in our communities, the one thing we demand is restitution. This is that attribute that we take on from God the Father. I don't know if you remember this, but years ago at McDonald's, when McDonald's used to try to be customer friendly, 
McDonald's when they were deficient on your order or if they made some mistake in, in some fashion, not only would they rectify your order, but while you waited to have your order rectified, they would generally give you an apple pie. Does anybody remember that? All right. This was something they wanted to do. They wanted to right their wrong. And not only did they want to right their wrong, but they wanted to pay a price in order for them messing up. They righted their wrong by paying a price. Wrath. Wrath is something that's brought by God's justice. Wrath is something that's brought by God's justice and his anger at sin. I want to read this text to you in Isaiah chapter 64. Isaiah 64 says, verse 5, it says, You welcome the one who joyfully does what is right, that they remember you in your ways. But we have sinned and you, uh, excuse me, but we have sinned and you were angry. It says, how can we be saved if we remain in our sins. We deserve God's wrath. And we deserve God's wrath due to our sin. None of us were innocent. And the thing we need to understand is that all sin is against God. You say, well, I, might, I sinned against myself or I sinned against my neighbor, I want you to understand something. Because God is the one who created the law, because he is the one who instituted right and wrong, all sin is against God. And because all sin is against God, all unforgiven sin places us under the wrath of God. Turn with me in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, and the text says this. It says, among whom we are all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were by nature children of wrath. God's wrath, it has to be satisfied. You see, here's the point I want you to understand. God's wrath must be satisfied in two ways. One, his wrath either has to be released, it has to be satisfied in that way, or God's wrath 
must be relinquished. And I want to share with you this morning, you want both. You want God's wrath to be released because he wants his wrath to be released. That's his justice. But also you want God's wrath to be relinquished. You want him to pull back his wrath. That's also God's justice and mercy. God's wrath must be satisfied. It either has to be released or it has to be relinquished. Let me tell you this morning how we can escape God's wrath. This is where Romans chapter 3, verses 25 through 26 comes in. Starting at verse 21. The text says in Romans chapter 3, starting at verse 21, it says, But now the righteousness of God has been, has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That's a beautiful passage of scripture. So many things are wrapped up in this text but it tells us how to escape the wrath of God. The one and only way to escape God's wrath is by offering the gift. That's the only way to escape God's wrath was to offer a gift. In verses 25 and 26 here, it communicates, it says, whom God put forward as a propitiation. Propitiation. That's one of the key words that we should understand this morning. And I want to explain to you, a, a propitiation is the removal of wrath by offering a gift. The, the removal of wrath by offering a gift. That, that is propitiation. And the text is saying that Jesus Christ was our propitiation. It uses, in, in your text, it might use the word mercy seat. And I want to explain to you this morning that that word propitiation is nothing more but a, a transliteration of the word mercy seat. You see, the mercy seat 
was on the Ark of the Covenant. If you think back to the Old Testament and Exodus and, and Deuteronomy and Leviticus, the mercy seat was this construction that held uh, the, the, the Ten Commandments. It was the Ark of the Covenant. And the mercy seat was on top of the Ark of the Covenant that traveled with the Israelites. And this mercy seat was the place uh, where uh, the priests, what they would do was go on the day of atonement, excuse me, you guys know it as Yom Kippur, and they would slaughter a, a bull and a young goat, and they would slaughter this bull and this young goat. They would take the blood, and the priest would go two times, one for himself, then one for the people, him taking the blood and placing it on the mercy seat seven times. This was the place whereby which forgiveness of sin was given at the mercy seat. And the Hebrew is, is known as the, the caporet, right? where it's translated propitiary, propitiation, or mercy seat. As I said earlier, the, the mercy seat or propitiation is the removal of wrath by offering the gift. The propitiation, as stated in Romans chapter 3, verses 25 and 26, is this person known as Jesus Christ. You see, back in the Old Testament, the bulls and, and the goat, the slaughter of the bull and the goat and the blood were a symbol of the one to come. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2 says, He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And it says, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus is the mercy seat. He is the place where forgiveness is gotten. Romans chapter 5, verse 9 says, how much more then since we have now been justified by his blood. Will we be saved through him? Well, watch this. From wrath. We are saved from wrath. We can escape wrath as Romans chapter 5 verse 9 said, we're saved from wrath because of his blood. Jesus Christ's blood. Jesus is our offering that saves us from wrath. He is our gift. Jesus helps us escape the wrath of God. And we have many today who think that they can offer God something other than Jesus. Many people today think that they can offer God money. 
They think that they can offer God some sort of incense. People have thought that they can offer God some sort of food. I never forget, I went to a Hindu temple. And when I went into the Hindu temple, I went into the inner sanctum where they had the, the various gods lined up on the wall. And as I was in this Hindu temple, people were coming in and they would go to the god of their choice. And when they got to the god of their choice, they laid down their food at the god of their choice. And I asked the Hindu priest, I said, well, what happens to the food? He says, oh, I just collect it at the end of the day and take it away so it doesn't spoil. That doesn't sound like a god to me. People think that they can get to God in many different ways. We can't offer God the right gift. That's why Jesus Christ had to come. The only God, the only gift that God would accept was God. The only gift God would accept was God. Only God can pay God. No man could do it. No money could do it. No incense could do it. Only God can pay God. Jesus bore the wrath of God on the cross for us. I want to read to you from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9 through 10. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 9 through 10, it says, For God did not appoint us to wrath. Let me repeat that one more time. It says, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. So that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. We are not appointed to wrath. You see, the wrath that was placed upon us was because of our choices. Sin is a choice. Sin is an affront to God. And because we chose incorrectly, guess what? we then became children of wrath. God had not forgotten about the sins of the past or the sins of the future. That's what we need to help the world to see. See, God has not forgotten about those sins of the past or the future. There are people who are alive today who, as the Bible says, are storing up wrath. They have a bank account. And in this bank account, they are depositing wrath. And our God is faithful. You see, people don't understand this about God. We say God is faithful. God is faithful. Meaning God is also going to be 
faithful to give you what you saved up for. If you have saved up in righteousness, you will reap a reward. If you have saved up in wrath, he's going to give you your full reward. God is faithful. His wrath either has to be released or it has to be relinquished. It'll happen both ways. God had forgiven sins and he had stored up wrath against those who had sinned. See, the fury of God's wrath was released on Jesus. Look at Isaiah chapter 53, a, a very famous passage of scripture. Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 5, is writ, uh, read a lot during Easter time. It says, yet he himself bore our sicknesses, and he carried our pains. But we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was upon him. And we are healed by his wounds. You see, Jesus Christ is the only way to escape the wrath of God. Only God can pay back God. I want to share this with you that we escape God's wrath by God's love. First John 4.10 says, Love consists in this, that we love God, but that, let me repeat that, love consists in this, not that we love God. He makes it clear. John makes it clear. It's not that we love God. Remember, we were sinners. But John makes it clear, he says, but that he loved us. And he sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. The propitiation. God loved us. God loved us. You all have heard it. It says, for while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were yet sinners, God loved us. God took out his wrath, not on us, but on his son. Only through belief and Jesus, can you escape the wrath of God? That's how you escape the wrath of God. You can't come up with your own thing. You can't come up with enough money. You can't come up with enough service. You can't come up with enough morality to remove the wrath of God. And without 
Jesus as your Savior, you're under the wrath of God. You know, it's been said that Jesus is our way to God and God's way to us. Jesus is our way to God and God's way to us. Jesus became forever like me that I might become forever like him. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord God, for your love for us. For while we were yet sinners, you died for us. And Lord, we thank you that you're such a loving God that you are uh, so plain, so simple, Lord God, that you desire to have us come from up underneath your wrath. As the scripture says, you had not appointed us to wrath, Lord God. Lord, this is by our decision. And so, Lord, we thank you for a way out. And Lord, I pray and ask that we would communicate to the whole world, Lord God, those who are in our world, that Jesus Christ is our uh, propitiation, that he is our gift. And that gift is simply someone who comes to take our place, to make it so that we might move from children of wrath to children of God. So, Father, we thank you and we bless you this morning, Lord God, for who you are. And we ask all of these things in your Son, Jesus Christ's name.